You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Well, hey, it's Peter Jenkins again from um, the American Saltwater Guide Association. We're uh, at ICAST, and uh, we're still on our thank you tour. Um, there's a number of companies that stepped up to help um, the American Saltwater Guide Association um, get the word out, and and um, and um, and so there are another number of companies that uh, helped us amplify our message and and uh, signed on to our letter supporting um, Amendment 7. And uh, we largely got 85% of what we were hoping for, and, and we believe it was with the help of others that we got that done. Um, and so one of the companies that, that uh, signed on and was extremely helpful was uh, Temple Fork Outfitters, or known to many as TFO. And it's a company that's been around for almost 30 years, and I certainly knew the company um, through that time. But more recently, uh, Frank Paul King has taken over as the CEO, and um, he's uh, um, he's the one who green-lighted uh, their signing on to this letter. He's been involved with the Government Policy Committee here at, at ASA, and then also um, has a long history uh, inside of... Uh, inside of TFO, going going back to, to what he would say it'd be the where um, TFO got its start, maybe in conservation. So TFO has been around for 28 years or so. Um, and uh, uh, Frank Paul, can you tell me um, sort of where the commitment to conservation came from? Sure. Peter, thanks very much for the opportunity to come and tell the TFO story and connect it back to conservation. So uh, the founder of TFO, Rick Pope, mm-hmm. started uh, the company really because he didn't, he was uncomfortable that uh, a great fly rod needed to cost eight or 900 bucks. And early on, uh, uh, he met Lefty Cray, mm-hmm. he and Lefty struck up a relationship and ultimately they became uh, co-partners, if you will, in an idea. And the simple idea was that if you build products that have high performance for the price, you provide value, that yep. that allows more people to come into fishing. And if you have more people fishing, then you have more conservation-minded folks who yep. care about our lakes, oceans, rivers, and streams, right? Yep, absolutely. No, you know it. Um, anglers know it. The people who fundamentally care about our waters are the folks that are really enjoying our waters. Right. And that's true in fishing, hunting, archery, all the sports in the outdoors. Uh, conservation began with folks that were enjoying the outdoors. Yep. As long as you make conservation a philanthropic thing, mm-hmm it's never going to achieve all that it can achieve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the company has a long history of saying, you know, we're in business to provide joy. That joy ultimately brings about greater conservation. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of thought process and, and, and ethos came from from Lefty and Rick in the beginning. Ab- so it's been there, baked in from the early early on. For, it's, our mission, it's part of our mission statement. Wow. Yeah, it was baked in from day one, and nothing's changed since. Yeah, wow, because I was definitely aware of the idea of it doesn't need to cost that much and, and, you know, get more people in the game. And, you know, in the end, the more people in the game, each one of them, in my opinion, you know, wants to catch a fish, then they want to catch a lot of fish, then they want to catch a big fish, then they want to catch a fish this way, and then ultimately they want to advocate. 
So the more people in the top of the funnel, the, the closer or the sooner we'll have more advocates right out there to, to defend whether it's this creek in their town or bigger things uh, like uh, the striped bass initiative. And I know for you, you took the time to go testify uh, to Congress about small business and, and outdoor, the, the importance of outdoor recreation, which you just covered, archery, hunting, fishing, all of it. Can you tell me a little bit about what it must have been like to, to testify to Congress? That's all the mics lined up and all the guys in suits across the room, right? That, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's, it's all of the above. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a super opportunity. Uh, most of us in the outdoor rec industry don't realize the significance of, of, of federal governance over our sport. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't until I got involved at ASA. And uh, what's an example in terms of catch limits and things like that or access? All of the above. It would surprise you that there are currently somewhere between 78 and 80 laws right now being considered for saltwater alone. Just salt water. Yeah. Shocked face. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And and then and then multiply that out. Each state that all states have fishing. Yeah. Okay. And you take states like Florida and Alaska that have an enormous amount of fishing. Sure. Okay. Every one of those states also has laws that mandate everything from access to catch to you know, how do you have to have your boat cleaned now throughout the Rockies for invasive mussel species? I mean so it goes all the way from wind generation off the northeast coast to redfish catch limits in the south mm-hmm. to bycatch laws on the west coast. I mean, so yeah. so just there's there's far more legality going on federally mandated mm-hmm. um, than than most sportsmen realize, and particularly fishing. The good news is. Um, the, the one area that I'm aware of that actually works year in and year out in Washington is conservation. And the relay, the reason for that is it, no great surprise. Um, it's a very bipartisan issue. I would agree. It has it, to be. It, it, it is, yeah. and it has to be. And we know that, um, because the single largest caucus oh, yeah. in Washington is a sportsman's caucus, which is... I didn't know that. I knew about it, but I didn't know that was... It's the, the largest single caucus, yeah. And um, uh, it has great bipartisan leadership mm-hmm. because, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're fishing, our sport, or hunting, I mean, that has broad bipartisan yeah. uh, love and, you know, that brings bipartisan enjoyment. And, and guess what? Lots of congressmen and senators hunt and fish. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I was talking with um, a fellow ASA board member, um, Diane Bristol, uh, an hour ago, and uh, we were talking about how, you know, how fishing connects us, mm-hmm. right? And, and isn't that a great example? I mean, it, it bridges this gap that seems to be pretty darn wide these days. But it's, uh, you know, just like you're in a, at a party and you see that guy with a striper belt and you go, I'm going to start over there. Right. <laughs> no question. So so jumping back to the question you asked, yeah. which was which I think is a might be interesting um, to your listeners. Mm-hmm. So um, several years ago, by as a result of the outdoor industries pushing on Congress, that that Congress should be paying more attention to outdoor rec. Mm-hmm. The Bureau of Economic Analysis began to. Uh, do economic research on just the outdoor rec industry. And what was discovered to a lot of people's surprise outside of our industry was that the outdoor rec industry makes up about 3.5% of GDP and it employs, 
it employs hundreds of thousands of people generating mm -hmm. billions of dollars yeah. of income. And it's bigger than most industries that we think about. It's bigger than chemical. It's bigger than transport. It's bigger than, um, you know, uh, telecom. It's, wow. it's a, it is a very large industry. And, what's and, it's the, and it's hidden. But what's very unique about it are two things that, as no great surprise, are very interested to our elected officials. Number one... Mm -hmm. It's primarily made up of small businesses, yep. and that's important because those small businesses have lots and lots of employees. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The those small business is the largest employer in the country, isn't it? I, I, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yeah. An outdoor rec. When we think about the Yetis of the world and the Patagonias of mm -hmm. the world, those are the anomalies. Right. You see it when you walk around the floor here at ICAST. Yeah, totally. Most of the companies are little companies and little maybe one to 25 to 50 employees. Well, yeah. those companies have lots of employees and guess what em lots of employees have? They have two things, votes yeah. and social media. Yeah. Because it's an industry, meaning Outdoor Rec is a very enthusiast driven industry. Yeah. And so they're very social media interested. And so from a policy standpoint, yeah. When you're dealing with, say, the chemical industry, the chemical industry fights you directly company to company. Yeah. The outdoor rec industry fights you person to person yeah. because you have hundreds of thousands of enthusiasts. Right. Okay. If you take something like the Pebble Mine, yes. okay, the Pebble Mine ultimately, you know, will be defeated, but it's not going to be defeated because a few big companies wanted to defeat it or a few big individual wealthy people. It was a mass constituency made up of all kinds of groups right. who all fundamentally cared about conservation. Sure, that's what brought them together. Okay, that's and for that reason, Congress has great interest in outdoor rec. Yeah. Because you, outdoor rec looks different than most other industries. Sure, when you say outdoor rec, and you, earlier you said, um, I think you said archery, hunting, um, fishing. Out, what, outdoor what is rec outdoor is rec? much, yeah, that outdoor what, what, rec goes everything from your RVs. Biking, maybe, yeah, go, you, you define it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's everything from RVs to camping, hiking, hunting, fishing, boating. Mm -hmm. It's it's all of the above. It's all, act, it's skiing. It's everything outside, yeah. not team oriented. Yeah, okay. okay. There's a definition to work with. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because I mean, it is, it is, I was like, well, where's, now I was thinking, would that count? Would that count? And you're like, it, it's a big, it's a net. great big. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we talk, uh, you recognize that fishermen themselves, um, divide themselves because they're, they're surf casters, they're fly fishermen, they're largemouth bass. They're, you know, I mean, we, we're, we, we segment our own all the time. Right. Yep. And we, and here you're pointing out that, uh, that that's what we do to fishermen, but in, outside of fishing, there's all these other pieces that come together to be a massive contributor to the economy. You said 3.5 or something. 3.5%. Wow. Yeah. Which, which makes it very large. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's that's special about fishing is of all the outdoor rec sports or activities, mm -hmm. fishing is second only to running. Yes, I saw and that. It's number but of you participants. Uh, I don't run. Oh, I thought you did. No, I don't run. But you know, there's depending upon which numbers you're looking at, yeah. fifty-eight to sixty million people fish. Sure. That's a very large group of people doing sure. any one thing. And, yeah. and absolutely, uh, you know, everybody fishes their own way. Right. For their own reason, for too. For their own reasons. Yeah. But you got 60 million people doing it. It's a lot of votes. <laughs> well, right? think about it. It's 20% of the United States. Wow. 20% so of the So I know adults. your background's in finance, and I can tell how you broke this down. I mean, it is 
exquisite, you know, just to say that 60 million is 20%. I would have to look it up, but you know this stuff. And it's really very compelling the way you put it together. I mean, you can't help but, and they see it now. Uh, the government sees it now. Correct. And, th and that's no surprise. The government cares about votes. They care about what do people care about. Right. And it, this is a very, conservation is supported by a very large, very enthusiastic, very vocal block. Yeah. Which is good. That's yes, good for us. That's good for us. Yeah, yeah. sure. So I, um, in Rhode Island, my state where, uh, and we talk about saltwater fishing, um, it ends up that recreational fishing in Rhode Island is 300 or it's, it's many hundreds of millions of dollars, right? But it uh, is larger than commercial fishing, which you wouldn't even know because it happens in the dark and it happens early in the morning and we're not really brought together under common voice. That's, uh, and, and it's not like we're bigger, but if we're bigger, we should at least have a same seat, the number of seats at the table, whereas the other guys in a lot of cases are better at advocating for themselves than yep. we have been. Would you, yeah. Totally, totally agree. That's particularly uh, true in in the context of commercial versus recreational yeah. fishing. Commercial, it's back to the a few big voices. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy to 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 hear those voices. Commercial uh, recreational fishing, really, until the last few years, has been a much more diverse yeah. voice. Well, now they're seeing that that voice brought together can be a very powerful voice, and it's being heard. Yeah, and examples would be American Saltwater Guide Association. An example would be uh, Captains of Clean Water. I mean, what they did, captains, when um, there was some bill that was submitted late on a Friday, uh, you know the story, I think, mm -hmm. but it was fast-tracked, and it, it had less than two weeks. And mm -hmm. by the following Tuesday or Wednesday, they'd parked flats boats all around the state house and created a moat, you know, created a, and, and, and we have to be heard. And then you get in there and I, this has happened to me when you go in to testify. Um, this is on a different topic. I striped bass up in New Hampshire a couple of years ago, but the point was, um, I was there, I was told you read that you have two minutes and I sit down. The guy says, uh, we got a lot of people. It's 30 seconds. I'm like, wait a second. I took a whole day off of work. I drove, you know, a hundred miles and, you know, you're telling me I've got 20 seconds, you know, it's a whole hour, 30 seconds. It's the whole idea of you work for me and you have these rules and I'm here to follow them. And now you're changing them. It's very frustrating. But um, I think that appearance and the way um, you can use social media and, um, as you already pointed out, to rally and to, to, to come together and, and find a cohesive voice, whether it's captains or, or ASGA or whatever these other ones might be, uh, Pebble Mine. I mean, mm -hmm. they're all, uh, there's many uh, examples of that. How do you, um, how does uh, TFO kind of um, look out across the landscape of all the different things that are happening uh, in fishing. I mean, you chose this government route, and I think, you know, with your the data you present, it makes plenty of sense you know, um, that, that that's, the, that's the right uh, place for, for you to apply your unique set of skills, you know, a good place. Um, but how do you look across and maybe prioritize, and, or do they come, do, they, do, the, do these things get brought to you by folks on your pro staff or... or noise you hear in the community how do you how do you identify where to put focus some effort you know because you couldn't do it all and because right. you got rods to build right <laughs> it's not a it's not a your job if literally so i think that for us um <clears throat> we not me i didn't found mm -hmm. tfo i kind of showed up late and have, have kind of carried the flag ever since yeah, but the torch we have a we have a strong desire to lead mm -hmm. to be a thought leader mm -hmm. And, and so we're very focused on two things. Number one, we absolutely want to bring 
increasing amounts of production back to the United States of America. And to do that, largely to support the belief that we can do it. Yeah. Okay. It's not something that's over. It's it, no, it's we, if we, if we TFO can do that, then that we believe will incentivize other people to do that. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is we're, you know, building factories here, hiring American workers and saying, we want to compete head to head mm -hmm. cost competitively um, against overseas manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's the first thing we're doing. The second thing um, that we're doing is for reasons that I don't completely understand um, the, the business consumer, the business consumer relationship has changed a lot as a result of the pandemic. Business has gotten largely pretty lazy because within the outdoor rec space, mm -hmm. because there's so much demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've taken our eye, in my opinion, off the consumer experience ball. We've taken our eye off the consumer service ball. And I know in my own um, life, you know, I get pretty tired too of dealing with companies who, who see me little more than somebody that wants to pay their bills. Yeah. yeah. And, and so at TFO, back to the thought leader model is, hey, how can we return to our industry the simple realization that we're an industry that brings joy to people's lives? Mm -hmm. So from not only selling them our products, why don't we make the whole experience mm -hmm. a joyful experience? Mm -hmm. Because people have got enough stress in their lives. Right. We sell fishing rods, right. for God's sake. One of the great things is, right, where the people are, we deal with are doing what they love. Yeah. Why, why shouldn't it always be a, a, a joyous experience? Yeah. And, and in the hopes that if you begin to kind of pay it forward with joy, mm -hmm. maybe that perpetuates itself out into a broader market that results in, you know, just a few more business interactions. And by that, I mean, going to the grocery store, buying auto insurance, getting on an airplane, yeah. et cetera. What? Well, all of some those of don't, not fun. Some right. of that's not fun, but it, it could certainly be <laughs> less, yeah. less, you know, cause less anguish. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, it's, um, it, uh, thinking back to one of the uh, point I wanted to make, um, when I go to Washington, um, and meet with my representatives, I bring up that fact about recreational fishing being actually bigger than commercial fishing. And I explain that that's called tourism and you reframe it and they listen. Because tourism, that's something that is important to Rhode Island. You bet. Right? Pays, pays the bills. Right. And so it's important to, um, you know, you persuade people in their language and on their terms, right? And it seems like, you know, with your data, you'd found a way to make our case for outdoor rec being something pretty formidable. The, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we as an industry um, have to continue to educate mm -hmm. is the difference between conservation and preservation. Because, Agree. Because those yes. are two very... Those are two um, messages that are increasingly getting brought into the outdoor lexicon. Yeah, you got to be precise. And you, you and and you know there is a over two hundred year history in this country of of conservation. Mm -hmm. The idea that you know we can use it, we can manage it, and we can maintain it mm -hmm. to the enjoyment of everybody. And and leave something for the next guy. And absolutely, it's not better. Yeah, it's right. not better. There's, that's um, an option. Yes. You know, um, um, versus this idea, which is getting a lot of play right now, which is a preservation idea, which is to set aside, to set away, to remove people from the enjoyment of the of that a particular experience, of, uh, that piece of outdoors or whatever. That it might piece be. of outdoors, exactly. And so, you know, there there is 
there is lots of evidence that preservation does not, in fact, preserve. In fact, it damages. There is lots of evidence that, in fact, conservation does work quite well. We have mm -hmm. lots of examples of that where not only have we gone in uh, to an area that um, has received little management, little conservation, returned it not only to historic levels of mm -hmm. wildlife or, enjoy, mm -hmm. of, or, or, or beauty, but improved it. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, we care a lot about that, not just from a business standpoint, but from a pure outdoor ethic standpoint. Right. Well, I think if you're a sportsman, um, and you, all the different kinds you mentioned, but thinking of fishing in particular, um, you know, um, if a resource is being, um, exploited and overutilized, you know, over, you know, like fishing for trout and water that's too warm, you know, it stresses them. Right. And so, um, there's some, steps you got to take to be a good uh, citizen. But you know if you um, put too much pressure on a resource and don't give it the chance to heal, if you give it a chance to heal like a forest fire, it'll come back after, you know, something has happened. It'll come back, right, if we give it a mm -hmm. chance. If we take it too far, then we probably make it very difficult for the resource to recover on its own. It has the ability if we give it the chance. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that um, – that Audubon mm -hmm. was a bird hunter. Interesting. Yeah. He was a bird hunter who loved birds yeah, yeah. and went on to, you know, create the Audubon collection and art and on and on and on. Theodore Roosevelt. I mean, when we look, Aldo Leopold, when we look at the great conservationists yeah. in this country, that conservation ethic originated with sportsmen. Right. It did not originate with philanthropy. Mm. Okay. It wasn't an idea that, oh, we, it's the right thing to do. We should just preserve it. Right. To the contrary, the idea was we should manage it and conserve it for future generations and our, our enjoyment. We should use, we should be great stewards of the land. Yes. So these aren't new ideas. Right. Okay. They're ideas that sometimes we forget for a little while, mm -hmm. but you know, the idea of conservation is long held in this country. And, and quite frankly, if you spend much time overseas, it's a different ethic overseas and they don't have the conservation yeah, or the, no. the, the outdoor resources we have because they don't have the conservation ethic. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, yeah. That I've traveled enough to, to see examples of exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> we're, we're blessed in the United States, unlike virtually any other country in the world where the majority of our outdoor resources are public. Yeah. Okay. I mean, right, I'm thinking of England and some other places you bet, yeah. where you, you know, you can't go fishing in England. Right. You have to buy a beat. The only people to get to fish in England are the wealthy. Right. Eric to the Clark contrary, <laughs> in the United States, yeah. fishing is open literally to everyone and right. everyone is invited to fish. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty rare thing in the world. Sure. That makes, yeah. The, um, you know, I, I think of, uh, um, we talked about how, you know, catch a lot of fish, catch particular fish, and then advocate. I think advocate, I see coming from two kind of places. I see um, folks having kids and, you know, the kids are six, eight, they're teaching them how to fish. It turns into, a, you know, they, they, round, they turn a corner in terms of their commitment to uh, preserving, you know, wrong word, um, to conserving, you know, mm -hmm. to, to make it, um, maybe leave it better than they found it. Right. Um, but then also you know, look over here at uh, Cody's 20 something. And I think those guys, when they see dirty water coming out of uh, the St. Lucie River or, or they don't they don't spend a lot of time figuring out the whole rest of the story. They know it's wrong. 
right? And, and it's generally folks from our generation that had something to do with it, right? So they're pretty quick to, to, to start to act, you know? But those are two kind of sources of the, of, the, of the people that I see more and more turning to advocacy and, and looking for information and looking for someone to lead, um, you know, uh, help them find their voice. They're looking for the voice, and I feel like captains and, 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 and ASGA and some others are providing that voice. That's, that's the role we fill, right, is to bring people together um, and, 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 and give them a, um, a message and help uh, use them use them to amplify it. And one of the, one of the things that's um, happening that, that is super powerful and impacting in a positive way, um, our industries, f- fishing specifically. Yep. If you think about um, when you and I were growing up, we were probably introduced by fishing to fishing somewhere in our family, a father, yes. an uncle, grandfather. a grandfather. Right here. And what, what slowly over time that continued to be true. And then if you, if you pursued fishing, you ultimately found yourself in some kind of a fishing community. Mm-hmm. And that was traditionally around a local fishing, fishing club, fishing club yeah, or yeah. store. It was, it was very regional. Okay. But what's happened in the last decade is those communities are now being formed online. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is people who have not gone through the familial education of fishing, they can get everything they need mm-hmm. online through that community. And as a result, one of the things you see, the, the single fastest growing type of fishing yeah. is urban fishing. Oh, like fishing right near F- home, your home water. Fishing in the local, um, uh, the, LA, the LA River, mm. a concrete river, yeah. is an amazing carp fishery that people in LA who probably will never go fish any place other than right there within that county. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's its own fishing mecca. Sure. You're seeing that throughout the United States, people fishing at golf clubs, people fishing in um, uh, uh, water retainage ponds, yeah, people yeah. fishing in the local streams. People. F- the point is... And maybe not glamorous species. Well, it's their species. Yeah. No, God bless. Right? right. It's yep. their species. It's their fishing. And guess what? Um the, the skill and the, the desire and the drug of the yeah. tug are just the same yeah. fishing, the in, fishing in your local little stream yeah. as they are for anybody else. And so when we go back to this idea that this community has an enormous voice, this community is expanding very quickly in directions that were not traditionally mm. um, seen. The communities exist in very different ways. You literally can have an entire fishing community that exists very in great, com, in great, uh, you can have a, a community that exists totally online, yep. very functional, that, that operates just like guys who used to go down to the local fishing store on Saturday. Right. Right. Yep. And g- more, more power to them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more, and, and it's a great, uh, lever, more, people more um, different micro resources that they can all advocate for or participate in or whatever it is. Um, I'm not sure which um, president it was, but one of them said we're all equal before fish. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's true. It might have been Carter. I think it was older than that. Okay. Like Roosevelt or somebody so, yeah, further back. Yeah. But I, I should do my homework because I, I love the quote, you know, but I think it's really true. It, it um, uh it, it connects us and it connects us to a place. And um, I think you're right. I think we probably successfully navigated the transition from that, uh, the fishing club that we would have gone to, 
to, to, to now. You know? One of the things that I've witnessed several times um, that, that organizations like Fishing Futures mm-hmm. uh, the, that tap into, if you ever go to a park and there are kiddos with their parents or someone, they've got either cheese or corn on a little hook on a little rod and they're fishing for perch or brim or mm-hmm. carp or whatever. No child doesn't know how to fish. Yeah. They get it immediately. It's <laughs> literally in their DNA yeah. that the moment a fish comes up and that fish gets hooked, the child is hooked. Yeah. They're in, they're on board. And it, what's, <laughs> what's also fascinating to yeah. me yeah. is they instantly know that bigger fish are better. Yeah, (laughs) it's like that. So I've always let, you know, you you see this over and over. It plays out. And so it this is not something that, you know, you uniquely have to learn how to do. Right. We know how to fish. Right. Right. Kids just get it. And so the fact that they can tap into communities of, of simple education about, hey, did you know you can go fish in your in these ponds, in this, in, in right. this, you know, this drainage ditch. And there are fish and you can catch fish and enjoy it and laugh. Right. And it's where a, it's that, a, where it's that thing that brings people together, brings them together. And guess what they care about? The ditch. Yeah. Yeah. There are exactly. more people that care about the L.A. River right. today, I assure you, than ever cared about the L.A. River because it's their river. Right. And, you know, the the waters that we fish, the waters that we enjoy, the, the waters that we watch the sunsets over at the end of the day, the waters that we watch the sun rise, mm-hmm. those are the waters we care about. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what's going to what's going to truly conserve all of this great resource for the next generation are people caring about their local stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not going to be me caring about stuff that's 10,000 miles away. That's philanthropy. Yeah. What we care it. about yeah. good, good one. is is where we are. Right. So our place. Yeah. yeah. Man, I want to uh, thank you again. Thank TFO again for their support of uh, the Guide Association in there. Uh, their um, commitment to amplifying our message. And and um, also thank you personally. There's a lot. Uh, I knew you had a, uh, a strong business finance background, but I, I'm really impressed on how you've applied it to uh, for our benefit, you know, for educating, um, you know, policymakers uh, to, to the weight that we actually have that we don't claim. And uh, the data does. So I want to thank you for that as well. Well, Peter, thanks for having me on and all that you do to keep us fishing. Yeah. Thank you. Betcha, man. 